Bankless Nation. It's time for State of the Nation. We've got the topic that uh, everyone is talking about right now. Who is in the Bitcoin driver's seat? Who's in charge of this thing right now? Who's running it, at least from a social layer perspective, of course. I know, David, Bitcoin runs itself, but there's been a, a disturbance in the force. This thing called ordinals is consuming a lot of Bitcoin block space, and there seem to be some maybe social fracturing as a result. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about, yeah, who is in the cultural driver's seat over the Bitcoin world? Uh, Bitcoin fundamentalists, Bitcoin maxi-zealots, I don't know what to call them, but that camp, we all know what they look like and sound like, uh, have been in control for a very long time until Taproot comes in, until this Ordinals protocol. And uh, our three guests uh, just got back from Bitcoin 2023, uh, and we want to uh, ask them what they think about the current state of Bitcoin. Uh, there's a lot of questions to ask. Uh, mainly, my biggest question is, why is the most viral thing out of Bitcoin 2023 a video of Eric Wall and Udi Wertheimer dressed up as wizards dancing on stage? I think that's the most important question of this podcast. But also, why are so many Bitcoiners upset by this? Uh, and so we're going to unpack all of these uh, details about what's going on in Bitcoin culture land uh, with three taproot wizards. But first, before we get into that show, we have to talk about this thing called diligence fuzzing, which has nothing to do with taproot's wizards, but is a similarly weird and funny name. Uh, what is diligence fuzzing for smart contract solidity devs, auditors, enterprises engaging in Web3 and need to ensure that their smart contracts are secure before going to mainnet? Diligence fuzzing is an auto-grade security tool that helps you and it find all of your code vulnerabilities in an automated way with fuzzing, of course, uh, but diligence fuzzing from consensus. There are other fuzzing tools on the market, but this one is better. It's an extra layer of protection for your smart contracts in addition to and beyond typical code audits. There is a link in the show notes so you can go fuzz your contracts. Go, go fuzz, fuzz yourself. <laughs> go fuzz yourself. Yeah. It's free fuzzing, as we said before as well. Yeah. All this free fuzzing tools here. All right, David, so uh, who do we have on? And what side of the spectrum do our three guests uh, take in, in this kind of, I guess, spectrum of full Bitcoin fundamentalism versus more open-minded Bitcoiners? Mm -hmm. um, do our guests all occupy the same side of the spectrum? How would you characterize them as we get into this? Yeah, we have Eric Wall, Udi Wertheimer, and Nick Carter, who... I'm going to ask them what they would call themselves other than Taproot Wizards, although Taproot Wizards is a great name. Uh, also call them Bitcoin builders, Bitcoin progressives, uh, people that want to move Bitcoin forward instead of uh, it being uh, in the way that it, it, it is, at least with its culture. Um, there's always nuances to par uh, pack apart with the people around Bitcoin uh, versus the blockchain itself. Um, but that is another topic of conversation that has floated to the top of crypto Twitter lately is the idea of a Bitcoin hard fork, because the last time that there was a cultural division, there was a hard fork. And so people are thinking like, oh, cultural division, therefore hard fork. And so I want to ask that question as well. Uh, and so these are the, the this is the context going into this. But mainly, I think the question is that you, that, you, uh, that you asked at the start, who's in the Bitcoin cultural driver's seat? I think uh, th this episode will be helpful for bankless listeners who are trying to predict where Bitcoin goes next. I think it's been maybe one of the most interesting years for Bitcoin on record. Uh, and uh, I feel more bullish on Bitcoin lately, and I'm not sure where that feeling's coming from. But I hope we can find out through the course of this episode. Guys, we will be right back with our guests talking about who's in the driver's seat for Bitcoin. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this possible, including our number one recommended exchange. They haven't failed us. Over 12 years and counting, it's Kraken. Go check them out.
Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Mantle is a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 network built differently from the other Layer 2s you may be familiar with. Mantle is a modular Layer 2 built on the OP stack but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle's gas fees by 80% compared to other Layer 2s, but it also reduces gas fee volatility. Mantle has a decentralized sequencer set, eliminating the risk of downtime and censorship on the network. And because Mantle implements multi-party computation nodes, layer one settlement execution is shortened from seven days to as low as just one or two. Mantle is the first layer two built by a DAO and is backed by one of the biggest DAO treasuries in the world, BitDAO. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded to help the growth of Mantle, like Game7 for Web3 gaming, or EduDAO for the world of DeSci, and Bybit for TVL, liquidity, and on-ramps. Check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Immutable is at the forefront of Web3 gaming, on a mission to bring digital ownership to every player, offering the world's best games and game development platform. Immutable lets game builders and players focus on great gaming experiences. So, build your next Web3 game on easy mode with Immutable's leading full-stack Web3 gaming platform. Its built-in UX features, like the Immutable Passport, are designed for games to scale to the next billion players coming to Web3. With Immutable, players can sign up with an email, pay with a credit card, and experience a frictionless purchase purchase flow inside of games. So discover your next favorite game and explore a network of 150 games building on Immutable, including such titles as Gods Unchained, Guilds of Guardians, Illuvium, Ember Sword, and Metalcore. So join Web3's largest ecosystem of games and players. Build, play, and connect at immutable.com. Yeah. Bankless Nation, today on the show, we have three taproot wizards, Eric Wall, Nick Carter, and Udi Wertheimer. Eric Wall is a previously ostracized Bitcoiner and has recently entered the Bitcoin Citadel via the Taproot Trojan Horse. Committed to Bitcoin and sovereign technologies through the best and worst of times, Eric has recently begun seizing the current moment in Bitcoin's history to steer Bitcoin back into the best of times. He's also Taproot Wizard number two, a Bitcoin PFP project built on Ordinal's protocol. Eric, welcome back to Bankless. Thanks for having me on. Nick Carter is a partner at Castle Island Ventures and a longtime reoccurring Bankless podcast guest, uh, and also writer on the Bankless newsletter, who, like Eric Wall, has also had his fair share of run-ins with the incumbent culture of Bitcoiners. Similarly, has stayed steadfast in his support of the power and values that Bitcoin presents to the world, regardless of the machinations of the surrounding bees that buzz around in the Bitcoin space. Uh, and Nick is also taproot number three. Nick, welcome back to Bankless. Thank you. And thank you for making me your number one Bitcoin guest on this show. Um, <laughs> Eric, you can't come back. I heard you're number two. So you actually you have to leave. Thank you. <laughs> and last but definitely not least, Udi Wertheimer is a perpetually beloved Bitcoin troll who has attempted to never say anything serious whatsoever on crypto Twitter, yet still manages to run circles around the average Bitcoin fundamentalists who are frequently left dazed and confused by the layers 
behind Udi's shitposting. Udi is also Taproot Wizard number one. Udi, also welcome back to Bankless. <laughs> Pleasure to be here again. <laughs> Great intro. Guys, I'm really, uh, really looking forward to this uh, conversation. And I really just want to get this one, this big question kicked off. Nick, Eric, Udi, in the Bitcoin world, is there a new party arising, a new party in power? Um, Udi, I'll start with you. I mean, we've always been there, you know. I think it's just like, uh, I think people are just sick of everything else at this point. It's like, it's been so long, man, of all of the macro podcasts and uh, and just talking about how there is no second best. You know, you go to um, the top Bitcoin figures at this point. And similarly to the way I used to be on Twitter, like if you look at their Twitter feeds, it's all about Ethereum. It's all about proof of stake. It's all about how NFTs suck. It's all about, it's like, wait, you're not talking about Bitcoin at all. <laughs> you don't have anything to say about Bitcoin at all. So, so yeah, we're we're just trying to you know break the mold and as Bitcoiners talk about Bitcoin a little bit, and and some people seem to be driven driven crazy by that. Eric, uh, same question to you. What do you, what do you think about this uh, shifting cultural ties in Bitcoin land? Yeah, no, I think that we've always been here. Uh, we've just started to uh, find a way to express ourselves and to sort of find ourselves. Uh, for the first time. So we've always been here. It's just now that we're sort of congregating and make an expression and a statement that we are Bitcoiners. We're not We're not like uh, ostracized Bitcoiners or altcoiners. We're just Bitcoiners and we you know, belong under the same umbrella as other Bitcoiners who choose to express their interest in Bitcoin differently. So we're just Bitcoiners. Nick, uh, I recently learned that you actually uh, observed Bitcoin 2023 from afar. Uh, so what, what's your take on all the, the recent events and how would you just describe and characterize them? Yeah, I mean, I live here, so I didn't really have a choice. Here, here is Miami, but, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I was physically near the venue. I did not go in the venue. I did pull out. Um, I didn't want fruit to be thrown at me. I, you know, Eric Anudi seemed like really interested in that happening. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I think it'd be good for their brand if it happened. There was no upside in me having tomatoes thrown at me or whatever. It's just, just not, you know, not fun. So, so. I, I want to clarify this, Nick. So you felt right. completely unwelcome to even attend. And how many previous uh, Bitcoin Miami events had, had you attended up to this point? Both. Yeah, I think I spoke at both of the previous ones. Um, I was due to speak at this one um, and I didn't want to do anything silly like get armed security or whatever. You know, I think that's just really unnecessary. Uh, but so the risk wasn't worth it. Worth it. I mean, there were there were actual threats. So um, I think you have to take that seriously, even if you think that they're idle. So despite that, I think I'm the least ostracized of the, of the three here. Um, but I, I would echo what they said. I think there have always been moderates. There the majority of people are moderates. I mean, it's it, they the uh, the fundamentalists see they are disproportionate in the in the discourse, but they are not actually the most numerous sect within Bitcoin. And I think people are tired of their shtick. I think they had their moment in the sun it, from sort of the clubhouse era to present. But uh, a lot of what they said didn't happen. You know, we didn't have hyper Bitcoinization. We didn't have some kind of Bitcoin rapture. Fiat didn't go to zero. Stock to flow model was fake. You know, everything that they promised was ended up being false. And people are now interested in new ideas and they're interested in actually using the Bitcoin protocol again, which is nice. So 
you know, some people actually want to transact with Bitcoin as opposed to just sort of jealously guarding their coins and looking at them. So, you know, thankfully, um, yeah, I think there is a breath of pressure and, and uh, both from the sort of developer side and the user side. So it's great. Wait, I, I want to be clear about this kind of this division in Rift. I I, uh, I thought it mainly occupied the digital realm. I thought it was like mainly like people on Twitter who were just like pissy and like, you know, anons and who, who knows who they actually are. But and I would I would um, characterize the three of you as, as like basically Bitcoin heroes, at least. That's yeah. what appears to me. Like I'm, I'm a Bitcoiner, but I'm not sort of immersed in, in Bitcoin culture. I, you know, uh, I've not ever gone to a Bitcoin conference, but like, Udi, well, you haven't gone Nick, to Ethereum and Eric, either. well, that's that's true, David. But like, uh, the three <laughs> of you guys seem like a year ago, you you would have spoken at one of these events without worrying about having fruit uh, thrown at you or armed security. How is it that you feel like you are no longer welcome? I'm curious. Like Udi, you, you went there. Eric, you guys were on the ground. Like, was it tense? I mean, what's going on? I got to say, um, the so it's funny. Up to the conference, we did receive like multiple, like a lot, honestly, of, of death, like actual death threats online from people who said like there are people who like started Twitter accounts to like go and reply on on tweets about us and say that, you know, they, they want to pay people to hunt us down. You know, there's there's there was some crazy shit. Um, and there's also been a lot of like very brave keyboard warriors after the conference, but at the conference itself, I didn't feel any of it at all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, so at the conference, we actually, when, you know, there's been a lot of controversy in the last few days about the debate that me and Eric participated in, but actually at the debate, at the audience, almost everyone was cheering and chanting for us. Like literally, I'm not even exaggerating. Um, people enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, people had a good time. Of course, some people didn't like it, so I assume they didn't attend or they just sat there quietly. But um, there was no, you know, I, I didn't see any type of, of like violent or even, you know, um, unwelcome sort of attention. It was, it was, it was for me. It was a very good experience. Yeah, and I, I can I can just echo that. That actually, surprisingly, it was one of the the uh, warmest events uh, that I've ever been to. There were a lot of people who were just very friendly and I just had a great time at the conference and I didn't there were a lot of people that came up to me and told me why uh, and asked me why Udi is such a douche, douchebag <laughs> but that's pretty normal though that's pretty normal yeah. <laughs> they, did, they did that they did it last year and the year before too so it's like it's usual <laughs> pretty much I, okay so I, do have, I have a bone to pick with you guys though because the last time I did this conference I got this show I got in so much trouble because I did one I think summer 2022 when I had a falling out with the maximalist in a big way at the time. And I said a now infamous phrase. I said something like my star will continue to rise. Do you remember this? I remember this. And oh, I remember this. <laughs> I remember they, the song. I remember it. I actually that. sing the song sometimes. Someone wrote a song about it. Someone got so mad they wrote a song. I didn't actually yeah. listen to the song. I trust that it's good, but they hate that. <laughs> However, Wait, they, arguably, they, they hate that you said that was on this. Was it that on this that was episode? On this, that was on this show. Was said, Leaving the Bitcoin religion with Nick Carter. They hated the show. They hated the show. <laughs> they already hate Bankless. They hate watched the yeah. show. So we <laughs> made them. We made them. <laughs> See some of these comments. They uh, watched the twenty-six thousand views. That's a good show. That's a great show. Twenty-six thousand maxes. <laughs> they hate watched Bankless. We introduced them to Bankless. <laughs> 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 they they hated that they had to watch this show and well then, some of them are in the comments right now and so some they, of them are on front too 
I, yeah, I then they say that my star has since fallen, which is false. To be clear, I want to correct the record on that. My star has indeed risen. Okay, it has indeed risen. So the verdict is in the star rose. Okay, the star rose. Thank you. Oh, now they're going to screen cap this. Then they're going to do another hate cycle. And then we'll have to do a third show. You know, what do you want to say to the haters right now who are tuning in and watching, Nick? Why don't you just address them right now? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't, you know, welcome to Bankless Nation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> check out the sponsors. Um, do some fuzzing. I don't know. Con smart contract fuzzing. I don't know. Um, check out Taproot Wizards. It's a really great collection. So. There you go. That was, that was probably the worst thing you guys did to Nick. Like before his episode, you just showed the most horrible reel of ads right in front of before nick gets to speak <laughs> sick of an episode before it even starts yeah i know it's perfect <laughs> it's it's engineered well, to uh trigger uh fundamentalists mm -hmm. wait can yeah, we so switch good. back to the can we switch back to nick's uh type of wizard i want to make sure everyone noticed the most important part about it but yeah as long as we're showing uh, here nick. it's the worst honorary so, so it's, I, it's this wizard one, number, number three, three. Yeah, it's wizard mm. number three. You can see that it looks like Nick, but also you can see the rising star behind him. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed that. That is amazing. Wow. That's me. That's that amazing. <laughs> so I really do this... appreciate that the, the meme and cultural layer on Bitcoin has been able to get really, really nuanced. Yeah. yeah it's... Including with the help of these, uh, I don't even know how you want to call them, the fundamentalists. I have a bone to pick with the, whatever artist that you guys contracted to do these because the early honoraries are terrible. The art's really bad. <laughs> and then the later honoraries are incredible. Like, yeah, look at Arthur better. Hayes' one. I don't know. They're, like, they're great. Yeah. So the early ones suck. And so you're punished. I'm yet again <laughs> punished by virtue of my friendship with Udi and Eric that only brings me pain. Only brings me pain. How much well, are these things I... going for? Is anyone selling them? No one is willing to sell. I've, I've, I literally am not aware of any single person who was willing to sell their wizard. So I don't know. Price don't is even, infinity. I mean, they don't trade, right? They don't trade. Even them, all of them have been given away for free uh, so far. So yeah. We don't know what the what the price is. Sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah, Eric the Udi, like they're incredible. At, at the uh, Bitcoin twenty twenty three conference just now, um, despite the uh, dominance that the Bitcoin cyber hornets seem to have perceived to be uh, dominating the, the Bitcoin sphere. Y'all did a thing, uh, which was you went on stage when you guys had your talk. And I want to ask about like what you guys actually talked about. But before you guys dressed up as wizards, uh, did a Fortnite floss dance uh, and, <laughs> oh, I'm and then proceeded to, to have your guys's talk. Uh, and so, I, uh, Eric, I want to just ask you about the thought process behind this this decision to put on some wizard costumes and to go on stage. And uh, what what was the strategy here? I mean, it wasn't like some grand plan. It was, I mean, of course, if we are the Taproot Wizards creators, of course, we're going to wear a wizard costume when we go to the biggest Bitcoin conference. And then sort of on the way there, I just asked, like, sh I asked Udi if he wanted to floss. He said that he didn't know how. You can see on his dance that he has no idea what flossing is or how you're supposed to do it. All right, I'm going to play this. I'm going to play this. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the breaking Bitcoin no. song. Hey, you're getting some cheers, Udi. Oh, that's yeah. a good floss. That's a good floss. That's a good floss. Really floss. 
I mean, the idea, the idea is the problem with Bitcoin culture is that they, uh, you know, the, what has been the problem with this conference and, and and the sort of general attitude around it is that people just take themselves way too seriously. Um, so this is a way to sort of prove that we, we don't take ourselves seriously. We're here to explore and fuck around and improve the protocol by stress testing it, uh, not by like trying to pretend that this is like some perfect thing ordained by God or Satoshi or something like that. So it's just like, we got to be a bit more humble with ourselves because, I mean, we tried to like make uh, a Bitcoin a nation state currency in El Salvador with Lightning. And like from all things that I've heard about sort of the Lightning progress in El Salvador, it's not a huge success. Like even the people who are trying to use it in a decentralized way, we need to be more humble with the actual state of some of these tools. Uh, we definitely be, need to be more humble with sort of the user experience and the privacy of these tools. So I think Bitcoiners, we have a lot of more fucking around to do before we can sort of go on these stages and be like, we're, we're saving the planet, we're, we're saving children in Africa. There, there's a lot more to do here. And I think, you know, Bitcoin is a bit of a clown show. Um, a lot of Bitcoiners are clowns. So I think that me and Udi, <laughs> usually there are, there are, uh, clowns at the conference that are dressed like maxis this is the first time that you have clowns actually dressed like clowns <laughs> i think uh i think you know the david you mentioned like the um cyber hornets before and i uh i learned to call them uh, laser eyes you know because uh previously we called them bitcoin maximalists but it turns out we talked about this before it turns out they don't they don't talk about bitcoin at all like these guys they talk about ethereum they talk about how they hate like NFTs and how they hate DeFi and how they hate like exchanges like Binance, but they, they don't talk about Bitcoin at all. So um, so why call them Bitcoin maximalists? So we, we started calling them laser eye maximalists and because that's physically, that's visually what they look like, right? And we, the, 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 the important point is that's not the majority of Bitcoiners at all. Like the vast, vast majority of Bitcoiners I mean, first of all, I consider you guys Bitcoiners, like David and Ryan. I, I I consider you Bitcoiners. I don't know if you identify as Bitcoiners, but I think you are. I think Vitalik Buterin is, is a is a Bitcoiner. I think that a ton of people uh, in the larger like crypto ecosystem are Bitcoiners in the sense that they hold Bitcoin and they want Bitcoin to succeed. They're bullish on it, right? Um, but no one can identify as a Bitcoiner anymore because what happened was there's this small like cult that took over the Bitcoin brand essentially. And when 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 new people are coming into you know, Twitter or online or what have you. And they look at like, what is Bitcoin? That's what they see. So they think that they represent it. And in reality, it's very small. Like there's like a few thousand people really. They're, they're not big at all. We assume that there's around a hundred million Bitcoiners in the world. I think that's like the number that people are talking about. Um, even if that's off by like, you know, you know, uh, tenfold, it's still much, much bigger than the few thousands of laser eyes on Twitter. So it's just it's just been captured like the discussion has been captured online, but it is, is not reflective of anything. That that spirit of of you know fucking around, finding out, just testing things out, breaking things, and seeing you know how they react and building from there. That has always been Bitcoin culture for at least since you know 2010 to 2018. That definitely has been Bitcoin culture, and somewhere along the way it kind of got lost, but. I think, you know, we're not in a state where we can see, stop doing that. Not at all. Like not even close. So it's I think we kind of need to go back. 
it's a it's a bit like you know that Kanye West uh, thing where he did and he he went up stage and said Taylor I'm gonna let you finish. That's basically like Max <laughs> is taking the mic. They're taking the mic microphone and they're like, Bitcoiners, we're gonna let you finish, but you know we haven't finished yet. We haven't finished at all with what we want to do with Bitcoin. So Eric, this is why I, I describe this as Taproot, and I know this from your memes actually, so this is credit to you, is that Taproot was a Trojan horse and it's allowed Bitcoin to do things that uh, previously, to, like Taproot, I heard about Taproot just because like my, my friend CK at Bitcoin Magazine and Bitcoin Media and just a number of other like close to being laser-eyed uh, Bitcoiners were like Taproot, Taproot, Taproot. Uh, and then now it turns out Taproot allows for these things called ordinals that allows for JPEGs on Bitcoin, that allows for Bitcoin to have um, uh, chain fees, that allows a certain uh, uh, previously uh, censored, previously oppressed culture of Bitcoin to like have foundation, have like scaffolding to and like market validation that there are these silent majority of Bitcoiners that are allowed to like kind of say, hey, get out of the driver's seat. Like we're, we're, we're taking over now. Uh, and so I'm just asking for your reflections on on that, Eric. But also, like, where do you think this goes from here? Like, is 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 this like how big of a taproot? How how big of a moment is taproot in Bitcoin history? So taproot is a marginal, uh, just a marginal. It, it makes it marginally more easy to fuck around with the Bitcoin protocol, not by a lot, but it it has shown that it was just enough to sort of get us across the hurdle and make it just easy enough for people to actually start. Uh, to fuck around with Bitcoin, um, I, I think it's I think it's probably the beginning of of something pretty big. Like the genie is sort of out of the bottle. Once you have proven that, yeah, you can take the Bitcoin block space and you can do more fun things with it. Even if you try to put the genie back in the bottle, um, Andrew Polstra, uh, for example, who's one of the inventors uh, of Taproot, says that you know it doesn't really make that much sense to try to. Uh, block this at the technical level because they will just figure out even more inefficient ways to sort of embed data in uh, public keys and stuff like that. So it's it's a game that you will sort of lose from the start. Um, it's so it is it is a little bit frightening. Like I've tried the, the one point that I sort of want to make against this direction that we're going in is that I do have and I, I have had a deep appreciation for the fact that Bitcoin and Ethereum are very different systems. Uh, and that's good because if Ethereum fails in a particular way, then maybe Bitcoin survives. Uh, if Bitcoin fails in a particular way, then maybe Ethereum survives. If the two systems are very similar to each other, then that gives us uh, you know, more of a you know, mutual attack surface. So you know, we weren't, I mean, it wasn't me and Udi that made Taproot happen. It was the Bitcoin maximalists. Uh, now we're just here trying to, you know, deal with the situation. And I think the the best way to deal with the situation is by fucking around with the protocol as much as possible, so that we discover what actual situation are we actually in. I don't think, you know, even though despite Udi being a Mossad agent, I don't think that we are doing something. <laughs> here. I mean, <laughs> Bitcoin should be resistant to Mossad agents like me. Like it, it should be fine, even if I am. Yeah, and I mean, the, the important thing to remember is there's nothing outside of the protocol rules that is happening here. Everyone is still constrained by the same four megabyte limit. It's just it was sort of a theoretical limit before, and now it's a very practical limit as we figured out how to stuff more data into Bitcoin blocks. Nothing has fundamentally changed with Bitcoin. People were inscribing data into Bitcoin, arbitrary data, from literally the first block. 
you know it's in the first block right so so can i ask the question nick here's why i still don't understand is like so why is everyone so not everyone why are the fundamentalists so upset about this right right. it's like one thing i i picked up um actually uh from you i i give you a mass amount of credit for this and so i was kind of understanding blockchain systems and the economics behind them of uh, your emphasis on settlement assurances right and um the value of of block space uh, just in general. And it seems like ordinals and, and taproot and everything that it's unlocked has been a uh, revenue generator, a value generator for Bitcoin block space, right? And it does seem like it's this is a, a fair, efficient market. Like who gets Bitcoin block space, the highest bidder? It's the free market kind of, like this is libertarian ethos type stuff. I don't understand why are people so, why are some fundamentalists so pissed off about the use cases that are happening as a result of the free market right now? Well, first of all, because they don't believe in free markets and they're not uh, Austrians, they're not libertarians anymore, actually. Um, so any any free market style Bitcoiner would acknowledge that it's an open protocol. Anybody can bid for the block space and anyone can be included. And that means you have to accept all types of transactions as valid. Bitcoin fundamentalists have a different teleology Teleology meaning sort of the purpose of the thing, right? So the telos of this chair is to be sat on. The telos of Bitcoin to them is to mediate monetary transactions exclusively with a preference for uh, the global south, right? For the underserved globally that sort of need, uh, you know, a hard monetary asset, right? To them, they see through things through the lens of sacred and profane. So it's sacred for a Salvadorian to transact with Bitcoin to escape, you know, whatever authoritarianism or to, to buy coffee or whatever it is. It's profane to use Bitcoin to settle uh, a JPEG transaction. So it's not about Bitcoin uh, having sustainability or accreting a vibrant fee market to them. It's about what's profane and it's about what's sacred. And what Udi and, and Eric are doing is profaning the Bitcoin system by forcing bull nodes to incorporate their JPEGs. Uh, because NFTs under uh, Bitcoin maximalist dogma, they are a not an acceptable uh, thing. Uh, as are tokens like BRC20s, uh, you know, they're all unregistered securities, right? So that's the problem is that they don't care about the long-term longevity of the protocol they just simply care that it's being used for the right things so they just have a different teleology but nick even even if it's good for their bags like even if ordinals and taproot is kind of good for its bags one thing i've i've learned about sort of the, the crypto community and certainly the bitcoin community is number go up right number go up good can, can you make the case that like ordinals and all of the the uh, consumption that's going on at the Bitcoin block space is actually good for the price of Bitcoin, certainly good for the economic security of Bitcoin. Do they not respond they, to that argument? The they literally barely, they literally not, barely own any Bitcoin. Well, like they, that's, <laughs> that's true, they don't. especially the newer ones. They've only ever lost money with Bitcoin. They see Bitcoin as something that you donate to, like a tithe, basically. Like yeah. it's your religious duty to put a portion of your paycheck into Bitcoin. They've never made any money doing that because it's always sold off. If you DCA'd into Bitcoin starting in 2021 to present day, you'll actually lost money. So they see it more as an obligation to convert your savings into Bitcoin. They're not actually in pursuit of wealth, right? So as a religion, 
it, there's uh, an ascetism to it, right? It's a religion that emphasizes privation. It's not a religion that actually, uh, you know, uh, is like a, uh, a pursuit of lucre. There's no, <laughs> it's not actually a financial motive. It's a spiritual motive. And also there, I mean, we have, there is also a very strong, like just social and cultural element to this that sort of shaped the arguments. Because when people were talking about taproot in the beginning, when people were thinking about sort of the actual uh, intended use case for taproot was to use something that's called Merkleized abstract syntax trees, which allows you to do a little bit more flexible smart contracts with, with Bitcoin. You can configure more spending paths for Bitcoin. And that was celebrated. You know, you had people saying, what we're going to do with Taproot is going to blow your mind. Ethereum is going to get blown out of the water because we're going to be able to do smart contracts on Bitcoin now. So when that was the narrative pushed by the right cohort of Bitcoiner, that was uh, the opposite of profane. Then that was sacred. Uh, now, because it's sort of me and Udi and other sort of, you know, uh, outcasts and degenerates, then it's a bad thing. So, you know, you can contrive any technical explanation for why something is good or why something is bad, but your starting point usually just comes from your gut feeling, whether or not, whether you like it or not. Like if you take, this is going to be like maybe a, a take that's sort of out there, but if you look like other sociopolitical issues in society, like are you for or against immigration? Many times it sort of has to do, what do I think about sort of the cultural impact of immigration? But then the debate always becomes, about sort of financial, like what this does, what does this mean for the financial strength of our economy in our country? Uh, but if the immigration that we're coming is sort of our people that they like, then it, then it's good. So so people will make up arguments for why something is good and bad on a sort of factual, objective, technical level. But where and how how they contrive those arguments and where they ultimately end up sort of has to do with do I want Bitcoin to be a place where Udi and Eric gets to fuck around? No. If, that, if your answer is no, then you don't like ordinals. And then you will listen to people who tell you why it's bad. So it's it's just like it, it's a like it's a power struggle between different cohorts of Bitcoiners. The reason that they don't like ordinals, many of them just has to do with it. They, they, they don't like me and Udi and uh, sort of the, the community of Bitcoiners we represent because we... Uh, Which is we, understandable, by the way. That, that is one I mean, thing I do understand. You guys are very disagreeable <laughs> and frankly, very annoying. Um, yeah. But ordinals, are, yeah. NFTs are perceived as an Ethereum thing. They're perceived as a shitcoiner thing, right? So it's mm -hmm. the ordinals are um, created by the other and they're not created by yeah, the like Lightning Labs just introduced Taproot Assets, right? It's also a protocol for creating NFTs and for creating uh, BRC20 tokens. It's just, you know, it's still bringing tokens onto Bitcoin. So if if your if your concern is about speculation and keep trading, that happens through Lightning's Lab Taproot Assets Protocol. Now the argument will be be like, no, but that's actually okay because it's slightly more and a slightly more efficient protocol. But that's also funny because if you're saying that you want a very efficient protocol for shitcoin trading, you're basically saying that I want the protocol to allow more tokens to be created, not less. At least you know the BRC twenties. There's a limit to how many of them you can create. So maybe that would be a a good thing, like you can always twist and turn these arguments how, however you want. Nick, I'm, I'm wondering for your from your vantage at Castle Island Ventures and also just your um, a deep understanding of the nature of the Bitcoin blockchain and also your connections to uh, the outside world 
that that you get from just your relationships in the space. How has this changed people's perception of Bitcoin from from the outside? Like, is what's the deal flow like? What's the outside perception? Is it changing? Is, is there any sort of um, perspective that you can offer there? Yeah, I mean, from the outside, I'm seeing for the first time venture fir firms that would never have looked at Bitcoin are now looking at it from an as an investable, um, like domicile for startups, basically generalist venture firms, not even crypto firms that did a lot of crypto stuff, no Bitcoin stuff. And now they're looking at Bitcoin. That's happening. Generalist firms that have never done a Bitcoin deal ever. They realize that there's a whole new terrain here upon which meaningful, uh, you know, value accretive companies can be built. And they see an influx of new developers and developers are the lifeblood of startups, right? And I think that's a very meaningful phenomenon is we see, I see developers that cut their teeth in Ethereum. So at their whole careers, they're now looking at Bitcoin. Hey, is, this is an interesting place to do things. It's a different properties that Ethereum has like, or any other, um, you know, any other L1 blockchain. So it has created a flood of new enthusiasm. And I think you'll see many more financings happening in the Bitcoin space than you saw in years prior. To a certain extent, Lightning did that. I mean, a lot of people thought Lightning would be this unlock for an application layer on Bitcoin. Arguably, that hasn't happened, right? It's still a very, very niche um, L2. Um, but yes, from the allocator perspective, uh, certainly uh, caused um, even generalist firms to look at Bitcoin with a fresh set of eyes. And I think also a lot of people on the outside were fed up with the maximalists dominating the cultural terrain. And so they also think it's extremely good that this change is taking place. And also Bitcoin, like Bitcoin's long-term security looks better, right? The the possibility for actual fee revenue on Bitcoin in the long term, it looks far more tractable now. So it's it's good on all fronts. There's basically no downsides. Who would have thought After that this... Michael Saylor is sort of the, the one that's, that's understanding all of this. So he's the one. <laughs> Out of all the Bitcoin maximalists, Michael Saylor has like triumphed and is now above all the other maxis in this sort of intellectual hierarchy because he actually understands that this is a, a net good or is at least willing to explore the idea. The other ones are sort of so ingrained in their hate towards me and Uli that they just they will not entertain you know any any reason for why this could be good. But Michael Saylor is like perhaps is a little bit above that, so he's like hmm. Okay, it increases revenue for miners. It makes me it makes Bitcoin more secure. It makes it more investable. Uh, so that that's uh, pretty hilarious to, uh, to so see. So Sailor is saying these things now, and that's a departure from like um, Church of Maximalism uh, canon. But like, does he not just get um, decried and outcast and uh, like uh, the tomatoes hurled at him? Uh, how is it that he's saying something similar but is kind of above that? I, can you explain that culturally? I think it's a Thanks. super interesting thing. Um, no, go go ahead, Udi. I'm gonna let you in. I think a lot of the laser eyes don't don't know what Bitcoin was like before Sailor um, acquired some. Like they were not around, and everything they know about um, Bitcoin is, is essentially came from Sailor's mouth, um, which is actually, I mean, I think that that's a that's kind of impressive that he achieved that. I think Sailor has been very good at kind of um, repackaging a lot of the discussion in the kind of 
Bitcoin Twitter sphere and making it more accessible for a lot of people. So I think that a lot of people, when they when they hear him say those kind of things, they're like, okay, if he says so, then it must be true, and that's it. Um, a lot of those new kind of laser eyes, um, I don't think they've ever had a um, an original thought about Bitcoin in their entire lives. To be honest, <laughs> they're just it's not. So funny. They're just so- not. Ni- they're not there yet. But and to be to be fair though, look, they're really new. Like I didn't dare to have any like you know, out of uh, consensus thought about Bitcoin in my first two years of Bitcoin. I, I, I Literally, I felt like I know nothing and I need to learn more before I even open my mouth. And I think a lot of people are in that situation, which is kind of normal. Um, the, the other reason is that people listen to him because he's sort of a designated truth teller. So in the, in the ecumenical analogy, right, he is the conduit from Satoshi's will to sort of like the earthly <laughs> people, right? As the same way, the word of Bitcoin in Catholicism, you know, the Pope is the ultimate conduit between God and earth, right? Sailor is one of the sort of half dozen people that's allowed to convey new intent from our Lord and Savior Satoshi to the (laughs) clubs. And so no one will listen to Udi and Eric, none of the, you know, avowed, you know, dogmatic maximalists. They won't listen to them because they're not the approved messengers of God's will. Satoshi's will, sorry, but Sailor is. So he's an acceptable place to get that message from. So when he says it, they actually have to listen. Nick has the comparisons to religion. Like what's what's the word you usually use? Eschatologism? Yeah, eschatology. (laughs) Yeah, that's the doomsday cult element. I mean, it's not a it's there's no analogy to religion. It just plainly is a secular religion. <laughs> yes. It literally is. It has it has all the trappings of religion. It actually is. When you remove God from your life, you have a God-shaped hole and then you have to fill it with a new religion. For these but people, it, that's what Bitcoin is. It it is an incredibly interesting data point. You David, you asked me like where do I think this whole thing is going? And I think if we compare this, you know, I really don't want to call this a civil war. I don't, you know, we uh we're not like i'm not definitely not trying to like create a fork in bitcoin and have these communities split off or anything uh we're working sort of within the confines of the protocol we want bitcoin to be easy to sync on full nodes and one of the uh, sort of counterintuitive things is that the more we fill bitcoin with jpegs the easier it is to validate the node because it's just raw data blobs like we have no uh, we don't we don't actually have like um similar opinions as some of the you know previous big blockers that just wanted to throw away full node validation in favor of uh, you know more data on the blockchain. We're not saying more data on the blockchain. We're saying free, uh, free market for competing for that block space. And the, that sailor is sort of uh, very much on the side of ordinals is an extremely interesting data point because it sh- sort of shows you that you cannot draw clear battle lines in this divide. This is why there cannot be like a, a, a clean conflict between the laser eyes and the wizards, because there there are wizards inside the laser eye maxis, and there are some laser eye maxis inside. Like we're a, it, it's a it's a much more diffuse and mixed uh, battle area, which is why I think there's not going to be like a civil war or a rift. Uh, we're not going to throw out them. They're not going to throw us. There is no us and them. It's just. Bitcoin, being a Bitcoiner, is evolving to incorporate more ideas. And that is sort of the whole point of why we're doing this. 
Yeah, and I really want to double down on this point because there are murmurings out there in the the rumor mills like, oh, there's a civil war coming. The last time there was a civil war on Bitcoin, it hard forked uh, by Bitcoin because then you can double your Bitcoins. And so I really just want to drive this point home that this is not like the civil war of 2017 where there was a fundamental fight over how the Bitcoin, what the Bitcoin protocol ought to be. This is more of just a, a cultural war of over the brand of Bitcoin, right? Can, can you just drive this point home for us, Eric? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So there, there is no uh, war in the sense that we want to fork off and have our different chains, uh, but it is like a war of what is allowed. What are what what opinions are you allowed to have? Uh, what um, what is actually like? What is a Bitcoiner really? And we think that a Bitcoiner is is someone who wants Bitcoin to be successful. But you don't have to have uniform ideas about what that path looks like. But what, what's very different from like pe previous uh, conflicts is that we don't want to throw out decentralizations. We actually love we, we all of us on the both me, Nick, and Udi. We started out as Bitcoin maximalists. We were Bitcoin maximalists because we want the centralized hard money to become successful. It's just that lately the sort of small blocker camp and the religion that they created hasn't really been conductive to to that success. Uh, so we're it, it, it's time to sort of experiment with different ways of achieving that goal. We're not saying that one way is right right and the other one is 100% incorrect. We're just saying like, let, let's let's widen the dialogue. Let's have more open dialogues because we can't just go narrowly in in one direction. Udi and Nick, do, do, do you two do you both agree with this? This will not cause a hard fork. This is yeah. kind of a social rift. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the notion of fork-based governance is like completely like discredited. I mean, has there ever been a successful fork ever? You know, where it cleanly split a, split a community in half? No, right. The the big blocks forks were ir irrelevant ultimately, right? I've never seen an example of a community actually being riven by a fork meaningfully. Nobody's trying to change the protocol. The protocol changed, and it just so happened to accommodate more interesting ways to transact it, it, on it's Bitcoin. Even, is it, would you say, Nick, it's even hard to know, like, so if you were a Bitcoin fundamentalist, like a Bitcoin maximalist, how would you actually, what code changes would you make in your forked version of Bitcoin to, like, prohibit something like ordinals? Yeah, it's unclear that you could even do that. Yeah, as as Eric said, you could try and uh, and bar the inscriptions uh, transaction type, but uh, again, I mean, people now have this bug in them where they want to take advantage of Bitcoin's permanence and high quality assurances as to the longevity of the data, the fact that uh, the throughput is limited. It gives you very strong assurances about the future availability of that data, right? So it's not just settlement assurances; it's assurances of persistence. Um, so people want to take advantage of that. So they'll find a way to do it. And people have been embedding arbitrary data, you know, in Bitcoin forever, whether it's op return, whether it's malformed uh, signatures, uh, public keys. If you remember the uh, ASCII Bernanke in 2011, you know, that was, I think that was done with, uh, with public keys, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, you're talking about a large database. There's numerous ways to insert data into that. And there's no way to prohibit it. So it's a totally a losing battle. Um, and you just, at this point, the notion of ordinals and inscriptions is so widespread, even within the fundamentalist camp, a lot of people acknowledge the usefulness of it. Um, and so there's just no way to strip it out, unfortunately. If it is an open protocol, 
where anyone can tr transact, people will find a way to insert arbitrary non-economic data if they want to. What would you add to this, Udi? You know, it's um, in a couple of uh, weeks ago, we had um, we had the space where it's Twitter space that we titled, uh, we broke Bitcoin. Me and Eric went there and kind of blew up, went kind of viral. And we talked about, it was, I mean, it, it was actually kind of funny. It was mostly parody. Like we just talked about the entire time about how we, uh, um, because at the time the fees on Bitcoin were going wild. And we were talking about how because of us, you know, Bitcoin is broken, doesn't work anymore. People in El Salvador cannot uh, afford lunch um, because the fees are so high. It was, it was a joke. And, um, and people got really mad <laughs> that we said we broke Bitcoin. They, 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 how can, you know, there, there are two camps. One camp was like, how can they possibly say that they broke Bitcoin? That's, you know, they never broke Bitcoin. They cannot possibly broke Bitcoin. And then there was the other camp that was really pissed off because they said, why did they break Bitcoin? How can they do this to us? Because of them, Bitcoin is now broken. So it was, it was a very interesting <laughs> two camps who were like, well, you can't break Bitcoin. Bitcoin is invincible. And then there's this other camp who was like, how could you do this to Bitcoin? You hate it. Why did you do this to us? So that was very interesting. I think that um, Bitcoin is really, and, and this is something that I've, I've talked about years ago. I think Bitcoin is, is, is a social system. Um, the, the nodes are there to automate or to coordinate between social participants, but it is at the end of the day, a social phenomenon. And what human beings do matter. Um, it's not just code that runs on computers and, and, and humans don't interfere. It's actually the other way around. It's a system of humans and the code can help automate it just like any other type of software in the world. Um, you know, like TikTok is not a software, it's, it's people <laughs> and the software helps facilitate the, the, the communication between them. And the, that's why I think that we, when we say we broke Bitcoin, I think we kind of did. I think we broke the culture in a way. Um, and the, the Bitcoin community still functions just like it did before. Uh, I think most Bitcoiners are probably not even aware that there's, that there's an Ornals debate going on. They're probably going going about their lives normally. They, they don't look at Twitter. They don't go to conferences. They don't listen to podcasts. They have some Bitcoin cold storage and they, and they don't care at all. But the the small fraction of the community that is online and is tracking those things, um, I do think it's bro it broke. Um, that's that's honestly that happened. I, I think you cannot ignore it. Like you, you look at how furious people are about this, they cannot stop talking about two people in wizard costumes on stage for like a week. Um, they cannot <laughs> stop talking about you know fees going high, even though they wanted the fees to go high. You know, they they just can't stop talking about. It. I think something did break, and I, I think that um, I think it's positive. I think that it needed to break. Um, I think there was this kind of fake gatekeeping um, habit that was, you know, stopping the block space for, for reaching its, you know, market free, free market optimum um, and, and other types of innovation too. And I think that what a lot of people are realizing now, and I think that's why a lot of people are so mad is that I think they're realizing that the conversation is about to change. It's not really about me and Eric. Like there's, there's so many builders that are getting into the space now and people who have been just sitting around talking about how beautiful the Bitcoin logo is and how great stake is 
and how you shouldn't eat vegetables, these people are just going to find themselves sidelined because their conversations are not going to be interesting anymore <laughs> because there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming to Bitcoin very soon. So I think that's why they're so afraid and so upset because they know they're not going to be able to compete in the, the that landscape anymore. And that's honestly, that's a frightening thought. It's not about Bitcoin. It's not about their will for the number to go up. It never has been. They honestly, I truly believe that. I think most of them do not own a lot of Bitcoin. Um, you know, when they say that they want Bitcoin to develop slowly, they mean it. They they need time in order to accumulate. They don't they don't own a lot of it. Um, and and I think they're truly upset. I think they're seeing that there's all this interest coming in, into Bitcoin. I think they're seeing a lot of OGs are coming back. They're seeing a lot of new people are coming into Bitcoin instead of other chains. And they know they can compete. So I understand, uh, but I cannot be their therapist, unfortunately. I'm, I'm too busy. So like, I, I hope they'll find someone else to take care of those concerns for them. Yeah, if I can chime in there, I think that's an excellent point, Udi. Basically, for the last two to three years, you could distinguish yourself within the Bitcoin community just by effectively preaching. So you could distinguish yourself as a non-technical person, non-builder, uh, with no credentials or anything, just by preaching loudly on Clubhouse and Twitter spaces about how the world was heading for some sort of fiat apocalypse and how the Bitcoiners were going to be the chosen people. So if you just talked about sort of the monetary virtues of Bitcoin nonstop, you could become sort of a leading voice in Bitcoin. Now, with new interest, new things, new structures being built on Bitcoin, new ways to use it, L2s, ordinals, to distinguish yourself, you actually need to build something, right? All three of us are builders on this call, right? Uh, entrepreneurs, investors. So to be relevant on a go-forward basis, you actually need to do something, right? You can't just talk. You can't just have a podcast uh, and a newsletter. And so what we're seeing, the consternation we're seeing with the, the maximalists or fundamentalists is they're reckoning with their loss of clout. They know that they're not going to be relevant because merely preaching about how Bitcoin is a you know, CDS on fiat and fiat's going to zero and Bitcoin's going to a zillion, no one's going to care anymore. We know that's not true. And to be relevant in Bitcoin, you have to do something important. And they're not capable of doing that. They're only capable of talking. Yeah, I, I really like this conversation because uh, Udi said the the conversation is shifting and and everyone knows it. And and um, Nick, you're talking about in order to be a Bitcoin leader, you now have to be a Bitcoin builder. There's another player in this story that we haven't brought up yet, which is um, Bitcoin Media, who are the organizers of uh, Bitcoin 2023. And my beloved previous co-host CK over at the POV CryptoPod is a is a uh, a leader there. And so I always think it's funny that CK went off to to Bitcoin Media. I went off to Bankless, and now we are like the respective spokes. Uh, spokes orgs of our respective organizations and understanding the business model of of a media company. Uh, NFTs as a vertical has been great for content. Uh, surface area for content has been beautiful on Ethereum because of the smart contract layer of Ethereum that it provides. It, pro it provides conversational surface area. And so that in of itself is good for media. It is good for conversation. It's conversation, conversational scaffolding. And so now like uh, when I see the, these ordinals protocols and these BRC20s, understanding that Bitcoin media as a media company needs to make content and needs to have that content be consumed, something like ordinals and something uh, like uh, tokens and all the drama that it comes uh, comes with is aligned in their business models of they need people to watch their stuff. 
And so uh, I, th I am bullish on Bitcoin media. And you can see this division play out because a lot of the Bitcoin cyber hornets are very upset that Bitcoin media would even dare to, to allow the likes of Udi and Eric on stage in wizard costumes. Yet uh, it is the thing that is actually going to be good for their business. And so I, I like to, if anyone wants to reflect on this, like the, the player that is Bitcoin media's role in this whole ecosystem, I think that is a, a very important part of the, the story. Eric, do you have any, any thoughts on this one? I just want to give a shout out to, you know, um, Bitcoin Magazine, Hit Rizzo. Um, I think that it, it was it was brave what they did. They knew that sort of this incumbent and loudest uh, community that they were have been catering to for years were violently against ordinals to the point where they were making uh, like violent threats. Like I, I personally don't care so much about the violent threats because of Mark Carpellis. Like he, um, everyone said that Mark Carpellis was going to get killed, and then the only thing the Bitcoiners actually did was standing with a sign in front of him, saying, you know, saying, "Where's our money, man?" So I've I've never you know the only you know the only people who are actually violent in crypto that I've seen are sort of the outside uh, criminal organizations who kidnap us and, and and hit us but I've never seen like in you know internal crypto violence yet so until I see that you know I'm not that worried but um, yeah I want to do I I do think it was sort of brave of them because like this is this is the biggest Bitcoin conference this is a super important organization for Bitcoin's culture. And Pete Rizzo is a Bitcoin maximum him, him, himself. That's sort of where he has all his own personal clout. Uh, so to sort of go against the grain and create an ordinals track, like at the conference, they were actually like they had a, a wall where they had all the most uh, not uh, like notable ordinal inscriptions one by one after each other with the taproot wizard one being the number two, of course. Um, I just think that it was uh, it was pretty brave uh, for them to do that, and uh, you know, kudos to them. Yeah, when the history books are written, there's really two events that broke the spirit of the anti-ordinals, anti-inscriptions people. One is Sailor um, speaking intelligently about it, and the other is Bitcoin Magazine releasing their um, ordinals collection and maintaining a more moderate stance. Uh, in terms of the uh, uh, speakers at the conference, we actually saw a lot of the hardliner Bitcoin maximalists sort of pull out of the conference, disavow. I don't know exactly what happened with your debate. I think people pulled out of the debate on the fundamentalist side. Um, so they were brave and they went against the grain. They fired their most hardcore fans, basically, and deliberately picked a more moderate stance. So I echo that. I applaud them for what they did. Yeah, same. Uh, absolutely, wasn't it wasn't completely expected, and it, it is a big risk on their end, and I think it's paying off now. So that's like really amazing. Um, I do want to say that, like you know, David, you you mentioned like this um, um, similarity between you know you on on Bankless, and then there's Bitcoin Magazine on the Bitcoin side. I think it's a little different though. You know, in Ethereum you have this very rich ecosystem of a lot of things going on and, and media is part of it. In the Bitcoin side, you only have Bitcoin media and you don't have anything else. There's nothing else. There's maybe mining companies. So those maybe are the, and they're very quiet, like intentionally. So there's just nothing else. Um, so the Bitcoin media ecosystem is, is, is very, very different than what you would find in the rest of crypto um, <laughs> because it is literally the only thing the Bitcoin industry kind of has to say for itself there's a lot of um 
Bitcoin companies that claim that they are startups, but they're 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 just hiding in startups. They're actually just media companies. Um, they they don't do anything else. They're not tech startup startups. Um, and that's you know that's part of the unhealthy <laughs> unhealthy environment that Bitcoin is in. Like it's very hard to be a media organization when there's literally nothing to report on except other media organizations. That's it's a very confusing situation to be in. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll find that it's, it, it gets better for them too. Like, I think that, I don't mean Bitcoin Magazine specifically. I think Bitcoin Magazine is, is kind of pioneering that. But the rest of the Bitcoin um, media companies, I think they'll find that this is, even though right now they're kind of kicking and screaming, I think they'll find out that this is actually good for them. Um, they're going to have a lot more things to talk about. Um, I would expect that some of them are going to issue ordinals collections eventually. You know, they kind of don't want to talk about it right now, but eventually they'll, they'll, they'll find that it's probably a good revenue stream. Um, and they'll just have more things to report on. And, and you know, it's it's really hard for me when I try, I try to think, like, who is this actually bad for? It's really hard to come up with anyone except for those influencers who are just not going to be relevant anymore. But other than them, it's really bad for everyone. It's sorry, it's great for everyone. You know, if you're if you're a software developer, if you're a Bitcoin protocol developer, for example, and you don't care about owners, you don't want to own NFTs, you don't want to trade them. Um, it is still good for you because now there's going to be lucrative employment opportunities for you with commercial companies that are actually you know actually have revenue and doing you know have real business, um, and you're gonna have you're gonna be able to employ your unique Bitcoin protocol skills doing that. Um, you're probably going to have like way above average salary for the first time in your life, just like Ethereum developers have for many years, um, because it's finally going to be in demand. And then if you want to be, you know, a, an open source um, nonprofit developer in the future, that's great. So hone your skill skill in one of those commercial opportunities, and then you can go and, and be an open source developer for, you know, whatever um, open source projects you want. Um, so I, it's just good for everyone. <laughs> it's really very hard to find someone who wouldn't like it, like it, unless you're just a podcaster who really doesn't understand any of this. That's that's something that might be kind of concerning. Well, this but is it what sounds, I... it sounds like. Sorry, it sounds like um, from from what you're saying that it, that it's a profit motivated decision for Bitcoin Magazine to support an ordinal track, and maybe that should be the lens that we observe any company's choices from. But uh, is there no, is that the whole thing? Like they're just trying to make money because then I can easily see it from the Bitcoiner side that, I mean, it becomes sort of a sellout thing. Like, yeah, there's, they're supporting ordinals because it's a profit generator, but in order to support it, like, shouldn't it be also like a cultural thing, not only a financial thing that motivates the decision for it to be the, the right decision? I think the reason that it, becomes a profitable decision to make is because there's a, a cultural movement right um because the culture supports this because the culture clearly wants this hey look on chain right now most of the transactions for many of the blocks recently have been ordinals related <laughs> you know so like the, clearly bitcoin users want this literally the majority of bitcoin users that's what they do so you know the the, the culture is there and i think that's why people see that this is a profitable thing now um and and still like being the first kind of domino to fall i mean you and i eric we know how risky and just uncomfortable and inconvenient it is um because you do it first even if you know that the majority of the culture is on your side even if you know that it should be a profitable decision you're still going to have the hardliner extremist laser eyes going after you and for a lot of people that's an inconvenient 
situation to be in. And I assume that for many of the Bitcoin uh, media companies, they also have a lot of internal pressure um, about this kind of stuff. So even, you know, if you, if you're running a Bitcoin blog and you are the CEO and you have like five employees, like three of them hate this <laughs> and you know that this is the right move, what are you going to do? Are you going to fire them and, and get like, it's, it's a, it's a difficult situation, I think for, for many of them. And I think it's, I think it's very impressive that Bitcoin Magazine took a took a bit early, and it's it's very cool to see that it's paying off. Yeah, there's definitely a, a few markets at play. One is the economic market, of course, but the other is sort of the the truth market, right? And you're talking, you guys have been talking about um, Bitcoin as a social system as well. And the truth is, everyone who calls themselves a, a Bitcoiner gets to decide what operating system, what version of the software they run in their own brains. Are they going to run Bitcoin fundamentalism? Or are they going to run a more moderate Bitcoin position? That's why I think that the influence of the three of you in pushing Bitcoin media and Sailor to a more moderate Bitcoin position, that's got to be, at least from where I'm standing, that's got to be the position that, that wins out over time. The economics of it, the builder of it, but just the straight kind of truth and logic of it, it just seems to make much more sense from a Bitcoin uh, network perspective. And I, was, I will say this, I know Udi, um, you asked whether David and myself, uh, whether we consider ourselves Bitcoiners. We'll answer on behalf of David too, because I, I think um, it, we've talked about this before, but we do, but it's been harder in recent days. I'll say the past year and a half, 18 months, 24 months to actually say that publicly. It's like, if I, if I were to say, uh, there was a time 2018, no one cared if I called myself a Bitcoiner, but you know, if I called myself a Bitcoiner in like 2022, you're not a Bitcoiner, you're a shitcoiner. The Bankless Podcast is like, no, I actually like Bitcoin was my first asset. I've never sold a, a Bitcoin that I have. Like, it's just um, Bitcoin is the reason I'm here. Like, I'm a Bitcoiner. And so what I really appreciate in the, the work that you guys are doing on the, the social layer, it's kind of a reprogramming of the social layers. I feel much more at ease calling myself and labeling myself Bitcoiner. And so... Mm-hmm. You'll lose some fundamentalists along the way, but I think you'll broaden the, the tent in a way that is actually good for this this movement that that we all call Bitcoin. So I appreciate the work you guys are doing, and thanks for uh, explaining this undertaking to the bankless community. Udi, Nick, and uh, Eric, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, thanks. All this right. was great. Got to end with this. Risks and disclaimers, of course, none of this has been financial advice, never is on bankless. Bitcoin's risky, so is crypto, so are ordinals, what the hell? So is attending a conference? God, I had no idea. Uh, You can definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Learning about crypto is hard, until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3 specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto curious user. Friendly, not scary. MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3.
Hiring people worldwide, paying them in crypto, providing them access to benefits, it all so complex. But it doesn't have to be. Complying with labor laws, payroll rules, tax obligations, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly. And it's drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. But there is good news. Toku is here. Toku is the first employment and compensation platform for the crypto industry that makes this easy. Toku helps you hire employees or contractors and pay them in fiat or crypto legally, compliantly, and with all the taxes handled in over a hundred different jurisdictions. So whether you're an early stage company with just a team of two, or you're an enterprise with 200, Toku has a solution that meets your needs. Toku is already working with the leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more. So transform your employment and token payroll operations with Toku. You can reach out to Toku at toku.com bankless, or click the link in the show notes. Introducing ETHX from Stater. ETHX is a liquid staking token designed to maximize rewards, all while securing Ethereum. With Stater, you can run an Ethereum node with just four ETH, an 85% lower capital requirement versus the 32 ETH required for solo staking. With Stater's four ETH nodes, you can get a 35% average higher yield, since you charge fees to those who use your node to stake their ETH. By running a node with Stater, the ETHX staking derivative token can get minted on your validators and can flow into the world of DeFi which Stater is actively building integrations and partnerships into to increase the utility of ETHX. Stater allows for both permissioned and permissionless nodes to join the network, maximizing its potential scalability for ETHX while preserving the values of decentralization and openness behind its liquid staking token. Go to staterlabs.com ETH and sign up to get access to the Stater staking protocol. Arbitrum 1 is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum 1 and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free.